Well, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, if this is your first time here with us, we welcome you as our guest here. I'm Wesley, I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just um, glad that you have chosen to worship with us. Hey, in the, in the seats in front of you, there's, um, there's some cards that, uh, I guess for this week, they're, they're still serving a dual purpose. If this is your first time here with us, we'd just love to know that you're here. Uh, and so you can just put your name or whatever information you feel comfortable sharing on there. Uh, and we just love to know that you're here and be in prayer for you, but then... Uh, and then also on the back, you can do prayer requests. But also, um, uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about this series that we're getting ready to do. Uh, beginning next week, we're simply calling it You Asked For It. Uh, and so if you have questions, and, and I know uh, for me, I still have, have uh, many questions. I, I, um, I, I probably have told you all this once before, but I, I was one of those guys that um, <clears throat> I, I can read. I don't like to read, but I can read. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, and so I don't, I don't like to read a lot. And, um, and, and, and um, if I'm in school, like if, I, if, if there's pressure upon me, like grade or performance or, or any of that kind of stuff, like I can feel the pressure and I can force myself to like read and learn. But like anytime when I'm out of school or not in school, I have a hard time um, on, like just reading, uh, and, you know, just developing that discipline. I think that's an adult issue. Like adults just don't, re- don't, don't read often. Um, some guys, some, some people graduate college. I mean, I'm sure some of us in this room graduate, graduate college and not go to graduate high school or whatever, uh, and just never read another book day in your life. And so I, I could, I could probably be that guy if, if I didn't have to read to stay sharp. Um, and so, uh, several years ago, um, I, I had never read the Bible, uh, cover to cover. I was a pastor of a church. I had never read the Bible. And, uh, yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I had read parts of the Bible. I just hadn't read the whole thing. I, and I used to, I used to make the excuse, well, you know, sure, surely I've read, read almost all of it. I mean, I, of course there's some sentences in there that I've missed, but over the course of the years, you know, in Sunday school and all, growing up in the church, of course I've read most of it. Um, and, and then I sat down one day to, to read the scriptures and, and, you know, cover to cover, set it as a goal of mine. And, and I, and I had to do it in a short period of time because I just get tired of things quickly and, and I knew I would get bored and not, not make it through. Um, but I made it through and, and I had all these questions, right? All these questions that kind of came out of the scriptures that I began asking people and exploring, uh, in conversation with people and searching the web, which is a good place, but also not a good place, uh, to search for spiritual, uh, answers to spiritual questions. Um, because it confused me even more than I was already confused after reading the Bible. Uh, and, I, and I always say that if you read the Bible seriously, right, uh, you're going to have questions, right? There's going to be some things that jump out to you that, that it's going to be like, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with this passage, or I don't know what God was doing here or thinking here. Um, so we're, we're doing this series. We're simply calling it, um, You Asked For It. And for the last couple of weeks, I've been saying, hey, submit questions. So those cards and seat in front of you, um, uh, feel free to write a question on those cards. And we've gotten a lot of questions. And we're trying to, what we're going to try to do is categorize these questions, uh, in, into different messages. So questions that, that go, um, that are similar or kind of flow together, we're going to try to answer in the same message. This is my first time ever doing this. So, uh, I might even need some grace through this process. Um, um, because I don't, I don't really know how it's going to happen. Um, but, uh, but, but we've gotten a number of questions, some interesting, uh, uh, questions that, that you've submitted. So if you have one, go ahead and, um, you can, you can just put it on that card and when we take up, uh, offering or when, when you go to the communion table after the message, um, 
You can just put it in the bucket on the table. I, I just love to know what these questions are. And this may end up being a series that we uh, do this time and then we revisit it some other time so that we can answer some of these questions. And also one of the things I said, hey, if your question doesn't get answered, right, um, feel free to grab me and say, hey, let's sit down sometime and talk about this um, because I'm not, I'm not certain that we'll be able to answer all of them. So we, but I'm always open to sitting down and just talking about the scriptures and uh, exploring them together uh, with you. Uh, so you can do that with those cards that are there. This week we're finishing up. We're, we've been in Philippians 2 for the last, uh, for the last two weeks since Easter. Uh, and so, um, so we're finishing up this Philippians 2 passage. So let's pray and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to gather in this place. And God, I just pray that in this moment our souls will find rest in you. You are all we need. God, help us to rejoice in the Lord always, for you are good. And so, God, as we open the Scriptures, I pray that you will help us as we read them, that you will illuminate them as we read them, that you will help us to see in them the way that you've called us to live and walk and interact with others. God, please help us to know and experience the joy of the Lord. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we began this, uh, this series in Philippians 2 uh, really with the surprise of Easter. And that's the thing that strikes me. Every time I, I encounter that Easter story in the scriptures, is that Jesus, um, Jesus uh, had this, this ministry, this three-year ministry where he lived and walked and taught uh, with individuals. And so he would sit down and he would teach about what God is doing in the, in the world. And he would teach about his purpose and the fact that God had sent him for a specific purpose. And he was, he was, um, he was in a sense laying out the plan of God, not just for his life, but the plan of God, uh, uh for the world. And, and there comes a point, and I think even in Matthew chapter, um, chapter, uh, uh, 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's as clear as he can be. And he's like, they're going to arrest me and, and, and um, and all the, and he's kind of laying out what's going to happen on his road to the cross. And Peter's like, never, that's not, that's not ever happening. Um, uh, and so, uh, so, so the way we see the story playing out is, Jesus began to teach, the closer he got to the cross, it seems, the, the more clearly he began to teach about what was going to happen and the fact that he was going to uh, die on the cross uh, and that God was going to miraculously, supernaturally raise him from the dead. And even when that happened, and this is the thing that strikes me every, every time I read the Easter story, even when that happened, it almost seems as though Easter came as a surprise to them, right? That nobody was expecting it. Um, and I, th- and I think, I think Easter, uh, for the disciples, uh, really for the entire world represented a paradigm shift, right? Um, because the death, death was the end of all things, right? The grave was the end. It, it represented finality and all that. And so on our first week in this series, we saw that graves, all graves have been redefined. Even things that look like dead ends in our life, even things that look like they've come to the end of the road, all graves have been redefined and that in Christ and the resurrection, we have a new hope. Right, And so we can look at things that we can say, this is dead. This isn't working out the way um, I thought it was. Um, 
this is broken, a beyond repair, but all graves have been redefined such that God is able to bring resurrection and new life even in the small things in our lives, even the, the things that we think uh, are, are beyond God's concern, but that concern us, right? Um, even in those things. And so the, the scriptures are really calling us, uh, one, to persevere, but two, to, just to hold on and to continue trusting God. And that our trusting God, um, our trusting God, even when we're surrounded by, by, uh, by graves, right? By, by dead ends in our lives. That's one of our greatest testimonies, our greatest witness to the world, right? That the world will come to know our God by the way we uh, face dead ends in our lives. So that was the first thing we saw in the, in the first week of this series. Second, second week, last week, we saw uh, don't grumble, right? That's what he says. He says, after, after the resurrection has proved that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and that all graves have been redefined, he says, don't grumble and complain, right? As you go from, and, and really it was a reference to the Israelites, as you go from slavery through the wilderness to the promise, right? As you're going, um, as God rescues you from slavery, as we see he did with the the Israelites, uh, don't complain when you find yourself in the wilderness. I, I, and, I, and I know, I mean, I know how this is. We, this is, this is just life. This is our experience. You know, sometimes we, we want things to go from bad to good. And for the Israelites, it went from bad to bad before it got good for them, right? And many people died in the wilderness. They died in the wilderness because they grumbled and complained and that negativity distracted them from God's will for their lives. And so what happened is through these negative attitudes, they began to trust Trust God less, right, and trust themselves more such that they began to turn their backs on God and and, uh, weren't able to follow his will for their lives. And so as God was trying to lead them from slavery through the wilderness to the promise, they weren't able to make it to the promise because they trusted God less. And so this morning, what we see in Philippians chapter 2 that I want us uh, to kind of focus on and uh, focus in on is is how joy, uh, which is what Paul teaches in, 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 uh, in uh, Philippians, how joy is able to flourish in the wilderness. How even in the wilderness, we're able to have joy. Now, when we look back, and I'll just go back since, since we did last week, since Paul does this in Philippians, we'll go back to that, that, that Exodus narrative with the Israelites. When we look back at that, that narrative, we see that there's a, a big difference. Um, although the words, the, the difference in, in, uh, in language, the way we use them may be small, there's a big difference between uh, groaning and grumbling, as we see in the lives of the Israelites. When, when we saw uh, last week, we saw that when God rescued them from slavery, right, uh, and they were in the wilderness and they were without food, although God had shown them, proven to them that he was exactly what they needed when they needed, that he was a God who was able to rescue them out of a desperate situation when they did not have food in the wilderness, even though God was providing for their daily need, when they didn't have a surplus of food in the wilderness, they began to grumble and complain. And that was in Exodus chapter uh, 16. And for that, they were, um, they were, um, they were condemned. They were disciplined because they're grumbling. They're turning their, their faces away from God. But what we see though in the scriptures, and, and we can't miss this, in the beginning of that, Exodus narrative in Exodus chapter two, we see that they uh, they groaned and God heard their groaning because there's a difference between groaning and and complaint and uh, grumbling. Look at Exodus chapter two, um, 
I'm going to begin reading down in verse 23. Listen to what it says. It says, During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out in their cry for help. uh, And their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Right? Their cry for help went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. You see, the difference between this groaning and grumbling is this groaning was this reaction to the situations in this world that are hard for us, right? The reality is that this world will this this world is a groan producing world, right? There are situations. I, I was thinking about a number just this morning that a bit that weighed heavy on me just around the corner on Hogan Road. I don't know if y'all heard saw in the news that that fire that that house that caught on fire and there were people that were trapped in there and the blaze was blazing so much. I, I was actually sitting here in the church when I when I, I um 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 was um, uh, saw the story on the news and I was figured I would just drive around there and they had the whole street blocked off and, and, and it's just this terrible thing that happened that brought chaos and confusion and, and and that produces groans right there are big things that happened the other morning I was at um um this BP on on Washington Road and um, the news crews were out there and found yeah yeah so you, some of you saw that story right apparently some guy in line was like. Um, taking too long and the guy behind him was like um hurry up and the guy was like i'll shoot you right and just like that and and, uh, at least this is what the witnesses say uh and the guy went home got his gun came back and right there is on the cameras you know you see the shootout happening between those kind of things cause us to groan it's senseless it's foolishness it's happening in our neighborhood we live in a grown uh, producing world. It is a world that causes us to groan because things just aren't right. Now, those are big things, right? And, and maybe they didn't affect us in, in our lives, but there are groan producing things in our own lives. And, and I don't like to harp on this kind of stuff because I'm, I'm kind of this guy of positivity and not negativity. And I don't want to descend into that, but the reality is there are things in our lives that cause us pain and hardship. And that's a part of this broken world. It's a part of the world that we live in. And God is never condemning us because of the fact that we are groaning, right? Um, even in Romans 8, he talks about all creation groans, right? All creation is in pain. It's a part of our life. But our groaning will quickly turn into grumbling if it is faithless. You see, here's, here's the difference. When we're groaning, we're groaning to God. At least that's what we see in the Israelite narrative, right? That they're groaning to God. They're saying, God, this hurts. God, this is causing me pain. God, this stinks. And God hears their groaning and he responds to it. Now, when groaning is faithless, what we see happening in the Israelite narrative and we see happening in our own life is our eyes are no longer turned from God to God, but they begin to slowly descend to the things of this world. And we find ourselves wrestling with, racing after, pursuing solutions to the problems that we face in our life. And we're not first turning our eyes to God. And so I I read this analogy, and I I don't know if I can get it right this morning, but 
because I wasn't planning on talking about it, but um, I read this, this way, this difference between groaning and grumbling um, just just this week. Just say there's two guys, and um, they work the same company, um, they work at the same company, and uh, the, the life situation is about the same. Let's just say they both have two kids, they both have about the same mortgage, same, you know, uh, amount of debt and all those kind of things. And, and so these two guys, their life situation is the same. They make the same pay. Uh, and and their their company cuts back on their salary, right? Um, their company says, hey, we just, you know, we're going through hard times. Um, the company's not doing that well. We're going to have to cut you from uh, full-time um, back to part-time. You can keep your job if you want, but this is all we can afford, and we just can't can't afford to pay you uh, what you what you need. And the two guys are just kind of frustrated, and they go into the break room, right? And they're talking to each other, and they're like, man, I can't believe this happens. You know, I got I have um, so much debt and bills, and um, my family is dependent upon me to, to pay the bills and to kind of carry this load. And, and, I, and, and, you know, I worked hard to get this job. I've been here for all these years. This stinks. And so these guys are kind of commiserating, right? They're talking about how bad this is and how hard this is going to be on their family. And, and, and that's groaning, right? Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with talking about and expressing the pain that we feel in life as we go through hardship and, and struggling. That, that's groaning. And so one guy, though, either in his man, mind or even in his outward expression goes, um, this is, this is hard, this is awful, this stinks, but I'm going to trust the Lord because he's good and he's been good enough for me up to this point. Now, now what I'm not saying is, um, and there's a place for this, but what I'm not saying is this, take this holier than thou attitude or you're like, listen, buddy, uh, suck it up, man. God is good, right? I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's the attitude he takes. Be, be careful not to have that, but, but, but have that attitude where, um, yeah, this, I mean, this sucks. This stinks. This is awful. I can't believe this. I don't know how I'm going to make it, how I'm going to pay the bills, but, but I'm trusting that God is enough. And the other one's like, where was God in this, right? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I believe, I went to church and all that, but I mean, I've been to too much to continue to believe and trust in that God. And, and that one will, will easily begin to grumble, right? That man who, who refuses to trust God, even in the midst of something that's causing him to groan, right? He will begin to grumble and complain and that negativity begins to spread to others. Now, when we get in Philippians chapter 2, one of the things we see that Paul is doing here is he's writing about his personal experience with joy, right? His personal experience with joy. And the, the irony here, though, in this text is that um, it, when he's writing this letter to the Philippians, and this is what Paul did, is um, he was this missionary that traveled around um, and he would start these churches and he would minister to these churches. And then when he wasn't able to be with them, uh, it's kind of like ancient email, right? He, w- he would send these letters to them um, and he would encourage them. And that's what a lot of the New Testament is. So Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And... Um, and he wrote this letter really just, just to encourage the church. Um, but the irony of this letter, and now the, the theme of this letter is the, um, that, he, that he writes more about joy in Philippians than any other letter. But, and the irony is that Paul had been in prison for four years when he writes this letter. And so he talks about his chains. He talks about his hardship. Even if you look at Philippians chapter, um, chapter 1, um, there at the very beginning, Philippians uh, chapter 1, I think it's verse 12 is where, where I'm looking. Yeah. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's talking about him being in prison um, and that I'm in chains 
for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear, right? And he says, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that uh, I am put here for the defense of the gospel, right? And so he's, he's clearly saying, um, I, I am in I am in chains, right? This life situation is one that causes me to groan. It's one that if I didn't have faith, what caused me to grumble and complain about. But because of my faith, I'm able to see the way God is able to work all things out for the good. And he's able to use even my pain, right? Even my situation, even this hard struggle that I'm in the midst of right now in my life for the spread of the gospel, that more people are going to come to know Christ. This is what Paul uh, have become clearly convinced of that more people are going to come to know Christ, not because my situation has become easy for me, but because how hard I'm enduring the hardship and struggles of my situation and the way I'm enduring it with my hope placed in Christ Jesus. And so we see Paul writing about this joy that he has, even when he's, uh, even when he's in prison, because he's Faith, his hope, his belief is in Jesus Christ. You know, there's that passage in Romans 8, and I think it captures most clearly, more than anything else uh, in the Scriptures, this, this, um, this mentality that Paul had towards, towards suffering and, 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 uh, and hardship. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I consider that our present suffering, sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. And so always, at all times, Paul had this idea, and this is the only way that we'll have joy and lasting joy, right? He had this this clear idea that God was in control. And that as a result of that, that all of this was headed somewhere. That things weren't just haphazardly happening. That suffering wasn't without point. And that it wasn't beyond God's ability to use it for good. And so in all things that he experienced in life, he knew that that was something that God was able to grab hold of and that God was able to use not just for his own good, but for his His glory and for the good of the world. And that's a, that's a heart that's just a hard place for us to be in when we're in the middle of a storm. But what we see in Paul's life is that his faith steadies his joy in the midst of a storm, in the midst of the storm, in the middle of hardship. It steadies his joy because he had this deep belief in the sovereignty of God, right? Sovereignty of God simply is a, is a way of saying that, that God is in control of this, right? That, that God is in control. So he, he had this deep belief um, that, that no matter what he was going through, no matter what he was facing, that, that God was in control. God hadn't lost control no matter what it looked like, no matter what it felt like, right? That he had this deep belief belief that that God was fully in control of the situation and that God was going to use it in in a way to advance the gospel, to spread the gospel so that more people would come to know uh, Jesus Christ, right? And and he had this clear view that because God was in control, that his suffering, right, the sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared to the glory that shall be revealed. The things we're going through now are temporary and minute, small in the grand scheme of things, right? Uh, And so he... he, uh, he, he held on because he knew that God was doing something, and by doing that, he was a part of what 
He in, in himself was becoming a part of what God was doing. Look at, look at um, this verse uh, in, in Philippians. And, and we can jump all over Philippians all day, and I, I promise you won't do that too much. But look at this, this verse. We were, in there, we were there last week in Philippians chapter 3, um, verse 10 where he talked about it. he wanted to know Christ. That was one of our points last week, right? Um, to, to gain knowledge of, of, of Christ and know him more. And let's look at verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering. Right, so so um, that's not usually the confession of our life. Like like, like when um like uh so so like we we talk about uh, um uh, believing in Jesus Christ and telling people about our faith and sharing our faith and people coming to believe in, in Jesus Christ and when we see people baptized into Christ and believe um you know they say um um. You know, I believe in Jesus the Christ, Son of the living God. I accept Him as my personal Lord and Savior, right? And so we say, we, we have confessions like that, that we, that we ask people upon their acceptance of Jesus Christ to say, right? That I believe in Jesus Christ, right? And, um, and I confess Him as my personal Lord and Savior. We, we rarely say to people, and you know, cause I don't know if old school church or new schools, we still do this here, but repeat after me. We rarely say, and I will participate in His suffering, right? That's rarely a part of our confession of faith, right? When we're beginning the life of faith, we rarely challenge people to say, I will participate in his suffering. But what Paul sees is that suffering um, uh, is a part of the Christian life. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, somehow becoming like him in his death, right? And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want my life to be so hard that I experience actual resurrection for the cause of Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And so in this passage where he's talking about this joy that we experience, the thing about this joy is that it's not a circumstantial or situational joy, right? It's this joy that we experience by knowing that resurrection is awaiting for us, by knowing that our belief in the resurrection that has happened is simply pointing forward to the resurrection that is to come, that graves are not dead ends, that God is able to raise things. And so in our suffering, even our suffering that feels like it's leading us to death, we celebrate and we find hope and joy in that because we know that God is able to use that and that becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, experience real and actual resurrection in our lives. And I like what he says, he continues in verse 12, not that I've already attained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love what we see there. Paul, even in prison, didn't allow the hardships of prison to distract him from the promise of God. Right? And that's that's what he's calling us, not to allow the hardships of this world, of our lives here, to distract us from the promise of God. The fact that all this is headed somewhere and God is fully in control. You see, what Paul does is he grounds his 
joy in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because the resurrection is proof that God is in control and not just the event itself because a lot of times we focus especially at Easter right we focus on the resurrection the event itself but when we look at the scriptures we see that this is a story that's been unfolding the resurrection has been unfolding since the beginning of time right that this is the fulfillment of the plan of God that this is something that God has been working so it wasn't just a haphazard event that happened at some point in history this was something that God was in control of from the very beginning that he had prophets and people that came and spoke about it isaiah chapter 53 just read that long time before christ right that prophesied to the fact that what god was doing was to come through jesus christ and that he would rescue this world from death yeah our joy is grounded in the resurrection because the resurrection is proof that God is in control. If our joy is not grounded in the resurrection and the sovereignty of God, it ebbs and flows with our life experiences. And that's, that's the, that's the experience of joy, right? Because, because in our society, we, we, um, joy and happiness, and I, and I've started reading a lot of this stuff, and I, and I, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about this, um, in a minute, but, um, I, I, there, there is a market for happiness right now. And I don't know if y'all noticed that. Um, and I've read some of these. Uh, this lady, Gretchen Rubin, has written this, these books about... Uh, it's a funny name. I thought I like it. Um, and uh, and uh, but she's... she's hey, Gretchen. Um, she's written these books about happiness and has this podcast on happiness. And um, I, I think I told y'all before I read this book, Hardwiring Happiness. And we, there's, I mean, it's just a market for happiness. There's even a color for happiness. You go in Barnes and Nobles, you realize all these books are like in the same color and they make you feel good when you see them. Uh, the covers at least are in the same color. I mean, so there's, there's this market for happiness and our world is in pursuit of that. Um, and, and, um, and, and happiness is this thing, right? It's kind of fickle. Right? It, it makes us feel like it's joy, but it's not really because it's here today and, and gone tomorrow. And what Paul is trying to help us to see is that, it, that if we, if we are following that, um, kind of self-help dogma of this world, right? That if we're following that, that our joy or supposed joy is going to ebb and flow with our life experiences, right? Where we will experience this joy one moment and not the next. And that there's things that can come into our lives that will steal our joy. Things like worry, things like anxiety. Things like stress will come into our lives and steal our joy. And what Paul wants us to see is that in Christ, it's possible for us to have lasting and steady joy because it's grounded in the resurrection and not in my situation. That that's possible for our joy to stop ebbing and flowing. I think I can say that. Our joy is possible for our joy. Listen to this quote uh, that I read. I actually read it just this morning, so I kind of jotted it down on this note card. Um, it says, Christian joy is a feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world, uh, in the word and in the world, right? That joy is a feeling in the soul. I like the fact that he says that, right? Because it goes deeper than just this... Um, surface level experience that it's this feeling deep down in the soul that is rooted and grounded in what god has done it's produced by the holy spirit that the only way to real and lasting joy is through faith in jesus christ it's the only way 
it's the only way. You can get things that look like joy, feel like joy, smell like joy, taste like joy, right? Um, I know this lady. Oh, man, that was a random thought. I, um, I know this lady that uh, she used to be a part of a church that I went to a long time ago. She used to make this, I think it was like a seven-layer chocolate cake, right? Um, that thing was incredible. I, that thing tasted like joy. Um, yeah. So it it can feel like joy, taste like joy, smell like joy, right? Um, but but real joy is a feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word, right, in the Scriptures, but also to see the beauty of Christ as He's doing His work in our world. It's this deep feeling in our soul that can't be taken from us because it's rooted in what God has already done. It's rooted in this attitude of this mentality of all rightness. That it's all right. It's all right. That, that it's all right. Yeah, so even when, in the scenario I gave earlier, pay has been cut, don't know how the bills are going to be paid. It's all right. Even when relationship feels broken, don't know how it's going to be fixed. It's It's all right. Even when health is bad and can't seem to turn it around, it's all right because God is in control. And it's out of that feeling of all rightness that our joy comes. And Paul is trying to get us to see this by using his life as an example for us. Let me let me just read, because we've been we've been looking at this passage in Philippians two, and I haven't even read it this morning, but I'm gonna read Philippians two. I'm gonna begin um, I'm gonna begin in verse eight. And then I'm gonna read through verse eighteen. How you can you, and we can see how um, the resurrection and grounding our joy in the res, our resurrection or how the resurrection leads to joy. Look at look at look with me in Philippians two, verse eight. It's talking about Jesus. It says, In being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Then listen to what he says. This is what we looked at last week. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. So don't grumble and complain because it's going to pull you away from the, the way and will of God. Then you will shine among them like stars in the skies as you hold out, uh, hold firmly to the word of life. And then you'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even as I'm being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice and service coming from your faith, right? I am glad and rejoice. So even as I am I'm sacrificing my life for the church, right? Even as I am in prison, even though I am going through hardship, I am glad because I believe that it's all right because God is in control, he's saying. Um, he says, so I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And then verse 18, and he's writing to the church, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. 
right? You too should be glad and rejoice with me because I'm going through the worst suffering imaginable to man is what Paul is saying. And I'm rejoicing because it's all right. And so what can we do with this passage? I think what are some next steps um, for, for us like as a church that's like reading this and believing um, that, that our joy is found only in the sovereignty of God and the fact that it's all right no matter what the situation looks like? How can we uh, foster a life where joy flourishes even in the wilderness? I think, I think one of the, the first things that, that we got to be careful in our world not to do is ask that we can't trust the self-help dogma, right? We, we, we just can't trust that. Now, I like reading these books. I like reading about happiness. I like uh, hearing about how these things happen. There's one book that I read. I think I shared with y'all a little bit about it, but it talks about this negativity bias and how our brains, how we become such negative uh, people. Um, and yeah, and that's true. And there are some good nuggets uh, for us in that book, but we can't trust, uh, we can't trust the self-help dogma, right? Because um, <clears throat> the self-help dogma, and here's, here's the deal. There's, I was in Barnes and Noble the other day and I couldn't believe this. I was like, um, I kind of like go Joel Osteen um, because the the whole self-help section in, in the Barnes and Noble right up there at Cumberland, right? They call it, um, they call it living your best life, right? It's the living your best life section. I don't know if y'all know Joel Osteen wrote the book, uh, living your best life now, right? And so now the self-help section is all about living your best life, right? And, and the, the part of the problem with this self-help dogma, right, is that it, it, um, it, 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 it misses out in a big way of what God is doing. And what God is doing is not just about you and you living your best life now. What God is doing is about, um, oh man. I mean, if it's in the same vein as what Paul is preaching here, it's about you dealing with facing uh, hardship and struggle and, um, and embracing that for the cause of Christ and for the glory of Jesus Christ and saying that I believe that even in this, it, it's all right. And so it's, it's not about avoiding or, or shifting our thinking or reformulating our habits so that we might experience joy. But it's about saying that no matter what comes, I'm going to have joy. And I, I, like I've, I've, I mean, I've just looked at so many books and read so, so many of them, and a lot of them are teaching us, yeah, they're teaching us the path to a life where we remove ourselves from situations that are stealing our joy instead of teaching us how to have joy in the midst of those situations. And I tell you, um, yeah, if you, if you, if you, <laughs> if you read those, if you, if you learn to trust the self-help genre, you, sooner or later you'll begin feeling like a marathoner because you're constantly running from situations that will steal your joy. I only wish that would have like real cardiovascular effects, right? That would be nice. But it doesn't, right? It's just, it's an unstable life that's constantly seeking joy in a world where joy can only be found in Christ. And so I think even though Paul, because, you know, this, uh, I read this, this is a um, more than $10 billion industry, the self-help genre, right? It's more than a $10 billion industry every year. More In America alone, more than $10 billion are spent teaching us how we could have a better life. And you can, 
Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be this down, downy per, down person against, you know, cultural things, but yeah, you can, um, you can waste your money on that stuff that's teaching you how, how to have a better life when the scriptures are saying, get to know Christ, become familiar with his suffering so that you can experience the resurrection of the, from the dead and experience the joy that can only be found in him. And so I think out of this, we have to see that we can't trust that self-help dogma, but rather we have to spend time in the presence of God. That's what the scriptures teach us is the way to experience truth joy in this world is by spending time in the presence of God. That's the second thing I want you to see. There's a Psalm, um, I think Psalm, let's see where I'm at, 16. Uh, Psalm 16, uh, I'm going to begin reading in, in, um, in, in verse 9. Listen to, uh, to what it says. Well, I'll begin reading verse 8. It says, I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, right? So, um, yeah, there's resurrection. This is even, this is Old Testament. This is good, right? There's resurrection there, right? You're not going to abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasure at your right hand, right? That you will fill me with joy where? In your presence, not in the self-help section of Barnes and Noble, right? Not with strategies of avoiding stress and anxiety. And I'm not saying those things are bad, right? If you if you're prone to producing anxi- situations that causes you stress, I, I say work on those things. But know that they're not going to secure your joy. That your joy can only be found in the presence of God. And we don't go to that why. Um, at least this is my thought and opinion why, why that's not our first our first go-to is because we are trained by life to be people who fix problems in our in our in our surrounding right so i don't have joy i'm gonna fix this i'm gonna rearrange my life i'm gonna eliminate some people i'm gonna remove someone from my circle right i'm gonna find a new job I'm gonna, uh, um, I'm gonna budget better, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do these things because in doing these things, I'm gonna find my joy, right? I'm gonna gain my joy, right? And I'm doing nothing but becoming a, a better marathoner, running after joy, but never truly finding it. Because it's found in the presence of God, where we can do nothing but sit and be silent before the amazement of God himself and the thought that he is in control. You make known to me in verse 11 of Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. The church has to learn to practice being in the presence of God. And so for me, this is, this is kind of how, uh, it, you know, sometimes it plays out. I, yeah, I, I enjoy music. And, you know, sometimes we come here and we... Uh, on Sundays, we come here and we sing songs of praise. And I mean, I mean, there's this, yeah, I mean, learn to listen to music that redirects your focus on God. Learn to drive yourself to the scriptures when you find there's things in life that are stealing your joy. The Bible says, meditate on his 
word, write down a verse and memorize it that encourages you, a verse that encourages you, write it down and memorize it and go to it when things are trying to steal your joy. Because what does the scripture say? That you fill me with joy in your presence. Yes, it's true. God is always with you. He's always around you. You can't escape his presence, but you can't ignore the fact that you can ignore the fact that he's present, that he's present. And so the scripture is saying, redirect your focus on the presence of God who is with you. And experience the joy that only he can give. And the final thing I want you to see is that if we're ever going to experience real joy, the kind of joy that Paul talks about, this lasting and enduring joy that flourishes even in the wilderness, is we have to learn not to play. This is the hard one, right? Learn not to play the blame game. Because this is what we do. Man, every time I'm around him, and he just rubs me the wrong way, I tell you, I am taking my lunch break at a different time because every time I go into the break room, he's there and he says something that just sets me off, right? And so we learn to take our lunch break. And and here we are again, right, learning to try to put ourselves in situations where we can have joy instead of having joy in the midst of every situation. When what the scriptures teach us is that joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God, not a fruit of our situation. Look at Galatians chapter chapter 5, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, um, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right? Fruit of the Spirit is love. It comes from the Spirit of God. You know, there's many times in my life that I feel like I desire, I want. And if you listen to the self-help dogma, you can even be taught that you can in a sense, custom make your life situation. That it's fully within your control. That you can dream what you would like for your life to look like. And with the right tools, with the right education, with the willpower and drive, you can begin shaping your environment in such a way that out of that it produces joy. And that, my friends, is a lie. You can try all day long to shape the world around you in a way that it produces joy, but the reality is we're in a grown-producing world, and no matter what we do, this world, this life is going to cause us to groan. And we can become, we can become marathoners who are constantly running from the things that are stealing our joy. Or we can rest in the Lord and find joy in Him. And my prayer is that we'll do the latter. That we'll learn to rest in the Lord And in times of trial, we'll say, it's all right, because God is in control.
Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to to kind of finish this series in a heavy way. God, I just pray um, that more and more as we reflect on the resurrection and your plan and your will for our lives and how it's played out throughout history, God, that you will um, that you would teach us to find rest in you, that you'll give us strength to find rest in you. God, when there's so many other ways that we can trust, so many other things that we can put our hope in, God, I'm reminded of the scripture where you say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God, I pray that we'll set our feet firmly on the way, on Jesus Christ, and that we'll find that in living and walking in the way of Christ, we'll experience joy that just doesn't fit. (laughs) That just doesn't fit the trouble of this world, the hardships of this world, the struggles of this life. And God, I pray that out of that will well up a chorus within us that constantly finds itself singing, it is well. God, may that be the song that we sing in all seasons of life. And not just as a song, but as a truth because it actually is well. In your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.